Take your hymnals, turn to, I think it's 509, just off the top of my head. Our newer hymnal I'm not as familiar with. I think you sang 508 this morning, maybe. So, so we're going to sing, I think it's 509. Let me look. Oh, there we go. I must tell Jesus, 509, prayer. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for His own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me. On the last, oh how the world to evil allures me. Oh, how my heart is tempted to sin. I must tell Jesus, and he will help me over the world of victory to win. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I don't usually talk before I sing, well, these days, but as I came down front, I realized I don't know what I do with my music. (laughs) So I did the last thing you should ever do before you sing, and that is run down the hallway. I didn't run in church. <laughs> run down the hallway to Pastor Toman's office. And by the way, there's about four books on the floor of your office because I'm trying to remember which one it was in that I copied. <clears throat> and then run back and Google it on my phone. So all of that to say I'm out of breath and I'm nervous anyways because I'm singing in front of people. But... This would be a really good time to say a quick prayer, right? That's what I... <laughs> All right, I think we've got it. <clears throat> no one understands like Jesus. He's a friend beyond compare. Meet him at the throne of mercy. He is waiting for you there. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on Him. No one understands like Jesus Every woe He sees and feels Tenderly He whispers comfort And the broken heart He heals Understands like Jesus when the foes of life assail. You should never be discouraged. Jesus cares and will not fail. No one understands like Jesus. When the days are dark and grim No one is so near, so dear as Jesus 
cast your every care on Him. No one understands like Jesus when you falter on the way. Though you fail Him, sadly fail Him, He will pardon you today. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on Him. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and will you open them with me, please, to the book of Psalms, chapter 72. I've heard that flexibility is the ability to make adjustments without getting bent out of shape. So it's good we've been flexible this morning, right? It's all going to work out just fine. Psalm chapter 72. It's interesting that in the book of Psalms, there is a pair of words that appear quite frequently. In fact, if you go to Psalm chapter 40, Psalm chapter 70... Psalm chapter 86, all three psalms written by David, you will find him expressing his own condition as being a man who is poor and needy. But it's interesting that in Psalm chapter 72, a psalm written by Solomon, as we're told at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1, the king's son... These two words, poor and needy, appear again, but do so to teach us a great truth about God. Psalm 72, look with me, if you will, please, at verse 12. For he, speaking of the Lord, shall deliver the needy, when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. If you have a pen in hand, I want you to circle in verse number 12, the word crieth. Because this morning, that's going to be a key word from this text. He shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also. It was E.M. Bounds who said that prayer, prayer is an awareness of my need of God and my asking God to meet that need. We might say that in its most basic form then, that prayer is simply the expression of a need. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning and then we're going to get into this message that I believe will illustrate this truth in a blessed and wonderful way. Father, I'm just a guest, a visitor here. I don't know who is in this service this morning. But I have a pretty good idea that a lot of us came to church this morning feeling in one way or another rather poor and needy. And yet, Lord, the exciting thing about that is it puts us right where we need to be to cry out to a great need-meeting God. Lord, teach us this truth this morning from your word, I pray. And I ask that this morning we will understand not just how to deal with our great need, but rather how to look to a great God who meets that need. So have your way. Help me now as I preach. Please use the message today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Will you now take your Bible and let's go back to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. 
The book of 2 Kings chapter 4, I love to take a Bible truth, a principle, a concept, and then use Scripture to illustrate it, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Now, each one of you was given a, a four-by-six card when you came this morning. By the way, if you looked at that and said, if this is what the guest speaker is going to preach on, he doesn't have much to say, well, that would be an accurate statement, at least based on that card. But I wanted you to have that card this morning because not only am I going to preach the message, but I'm going to help you take notes on it. For that reason, I've prepared a very simple sermon. There are only two points. One is going to go on one side of the card. The other will go on the back side of the card. But when you are done today, you will have on that card a wonderful resource that either you or someone you know will benefit from during a time when they are poor and needy. We're in the book of 2 Kings now, chapter 4. And I want you to notice the third word of verse 1. Grab your pen and circle it. Now there cried. Same thought that we saw in Psalm 72. We're using this word this morning to help us get a greater understanding of a need meeting God. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Let's just stop right there. Folks, let's introduce this dear lady in verse number one. What do we know about her? Number one, we know that she was a preacher's wife. Apparently, as she said, her husband had been one of the sons of the prophets. We might even guess that very likely this was a family who had grown up in the ministry as we would say it. Second thing we know, however, about her is that she was a widow. Her husband had died. We're not given a great deal of information. We don't know whether it was an illness. We don't know if it was an injury. We really don't know the cause of death, though very likely it was an old age because there were still two sons living at home. Third thing we know about is her is this. She was in debt. I'm not certain why. Maybe it was her husband's illness that had kept him from working and providing an income for the family. Maybe it was the expenses surrounding his death that had created the financial crisis. Maybe it was simply the fact that because there was no longer a provider for the family, she'd not been able to meet the needs of the family. I'm not really sure, but I do understand that the situation had become serious enough that the creditors had come and rightfully by law were going to take her two sons out of the home, take them away from her to go and work, to earn money to pay off her debt. Would you agree with me? Life had gotten really tough. Which leads me to the first point of the message, and it's actually a couple of words that I want you to write on the top line of that card that you have in your hand. It's the first point of the message, human predicament. Here's how I define a predicament. A predicament is a situation that you've gotten into that you can't get out of. That's where she was. 
Oh, it wasn't necessarily her fault that her husband had died. It wasn't necessarily her fault that the family was in debt. It wasn't necessarily her fault that the creditors were going to take her sons. But the simple truth, that's is, that's exactly where she was. And there was not one thing she could do, humanly speaking, to change the situation. Now, can we just for a moment this morning step back from the Bible account to real life? It's very likely that there are some people who walked into this auditorium this morning who likewise are in a predicament. Oh, not necessarily the identical circumstances, but the simple truth is this morning, you have gotten into a situation you can't get out of. It's not your fault, maybe. It's not something you could have helped, possibly. The truth is, however, that's where life has you. I did something that I'd like to share with you, I made a list of human predicaments. Why don't you take that card and I'm going to give you my list this morning and I want you to just write them down on the lines there on the front of that card as part of this first point in the message. The first human predicament that I wrote down is this, a need that must be met. Maybe there's someone here this morning who is thinking about an invoice or a statement that came. There's a due date. And you know there's not enough money in the bank to make the payment. And you know that there probably won't be enough money when the date arrives. And so right now you're looking at this financial need. It's a need that must be met, but you don't have any idea how it's going to happen. The second predicament that I wrote down is this, a problem that must be solved. Maybe it's relational. It's a a family conflict. Husband, wife, parents, children, brothers, sisters. Maybe it's a, a co-worker or a team member. And it's just become increasingly difficult to communicate and to relate with this individual. And every time you see them, every time you're with them, it just becomes more and more chaotic. And the simple truth is, there is no apparent solution to this problem. Number three, I wrote down... Question that must be answered. Isn't it amazing how many things go on in life and we find ourselves asking, why did this happen? What is going to happen? And the simple truth is that right now there's just a great big question mark that is looming in front of us and there doesn't seem to be an apparent answer. Number four, a decision that must be made. What are we going to do about? And then when you look at the blank that needs to be filled in, you just shake your head because you don't have any idea what to do. What am I going to do about this job? What are we going to do about my parents? What are we going to do about our vehicle? What are we going to do about... And the list goes on and on and on. Number five, a victory that must be won. Maybe there's an area of your life that for years you have lived with a spirit of defeat and despair. And it just seems like you've been the born loser. And failure has just kind of been the story of your experience and you you just think to yourself if I could just get on top of this situation if I could just experience a sense of victory life would be better the sixth human predicament that I wrote down is a habit that must be controlled 
It's an area of life that at this point has gotten out of control to such a degree that you have no control and maybe even someone else has taken control. And the simple truth is you control the, you are controlled by the habit itself. And that can range anywhere from a serious addiction problem to just personal discipline issues. Number seven, I wrote down a fear that must be removed. Maybe your life is haunted day after day after day by fear. What if? The unknown, that's where fear always originates. The unknown regarding an area of life that at this point just has not become clear. Number eight, I wrote down a wound that must be healed. I sometimes marvel at the number of people that sit in our church services, even such as this, who at some point in their life were wounded or hurt or offended by someone, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe it was... In business, maybe it was in sports, maybe it was in the family context. But through life there has been this wound that just won't heal and every time that area of life gets touched it just brings back the pain. Number nine, a sorrow that must be comforted. Maybe you still find that Night after night, you soak a pillow with your tears because the loss, the grief that you have experienced is at times overwhelming. Finally, number 10, I wrote down an emptiness that must be filled. Something's missing. There's a void in life that just continues To exist. Now, folks, I'm not for one minute going to tell you that the list I've given you is all inclusive. But would you agree with me that it does, in a rather realistic way, describe where life is for a lot of us? Human predicaments. I've given you that list this morning because it in a sense, helps us to sort of connect with this Old Testament Bible story. A woman in a predicament, me or you in a predicament, we're all in this thing together at this point. Well, let's go back now to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we read in verse 2 that Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee. You know, to me, that's a marvelous question in Scripture. It's not the only time that it appears. Jesus sometimes asked a similar question. But it was a necessary question. And here's why. Folks, we as human beings resist the tendency to be honest and open about needs. We, even in a Sunday morning church service such as this, are masters of good impressions. We want to look good. We want to look look strong. We want to look capable. We want to look like we've got it all together because, well, that just makes us look good. And yet sometimes, in so doing, we become very, very hypocritical because we don't look good and we don't look strong and we don't look capable and we don't look like we have it all together. Why? Because we have needs. I remember the first time that I ever conducted one of our burden-bearing prayer meetings. 
something that we now do, I do, my wife does it quite a bit with ladies. Remember the first time I ever conducted one of these, I had shared some thoughts from Scripture. I had kind of shared a a personal experience and just tried to give people an understanding of what we were talking about. And I said, now we're going to have a burden-bearing prayer meeting. And I said, the way we're going to do it is this. I said, we're going to just pick an area of burdens. And I said, we'll start with physical burdens. And I said, what I'd like is for those of you who have a physical burden to just stand to your feet. And I remember standing there and my eyes were kind of looking back across the audience and I'm thinking, well, this was a swing and a miss. Finally, someone stood. And then another and another and another And another until eventually there was a considerable number of, it was actually men that were standing. I said, brethren, we're going to go around quickly and in one or two sentences tell us what your burden is. We made our way through the audience and these men just expressed their burden. In some cases it was a physical condition of their own and in others it was someone close to them. I said, all right, the remaining men who are not standing, I want you now to get up and I want you to go to these brethren and several of you surround each one of them and bear their burden in prayer. Man, it was beautiful. Seeing these guys arm in arm, these little holy huddles all over the room and finally we got done and everybody was seated. I said, all right, let's talk family burdens. Who's got a family burden? Got real quiet, got real still. Finally, one, two, three, four, men began to stand. First man, I said, what's your burden? He said, my wife of, I believe, nine years left me a month ago. We began to share and it was issues with children and issues with conflicts and I said, all right, man, you know the drill. Let's go. And we went back to prayer. You know what I began to discover? And since then, I've done a lot of burden-bearing prayer meetings. But you know what I've discovered? It's very, very difficult to express the need, but it's the expressing of the need that creates the opportunity for God. Why? Because expressing your need requires us to be honest and it requires us to be humble. Why did Elisha say, what shall I do for thee? Didn't God already know what she needed? Yes. Didn't Elisha already know what she needed? Probably. But it was very, very important for her to express that need, to be honest, to be humble, because when she did, it opened the door for God to begin to work. Tell me, Elisha said, what hast thou in the house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything. Human predicament, remember? Got in, can't get out. Have a need I can't meet, a problem I can't solve. The list goes on. I don't have anything in the house save a pot of oil. How big was the pot? I don't know, except to say that to her, it seemed like almost nothing. Whatever it was, it was minimal. So we go on. Verse 3, Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty at vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. 
So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. Folks, can you imagine what took place at this moment? These boys had apparently worked for a considerable amount of time, going to neighbors, going to friends, going to family, gathering every bucket, every bowl, every barrel, every pitcher, every jug, anything they could find and bringing it back into the house. Finally, you can't even walk. You can't even sit. Everything is covered with vessels. Son, close the door. Can you in your mind's eye see this dear lady as she picks up this pot of oil? All she has. And she looks at her son and says, bring me a vessel. You know, some of us read these stories almost as if we assume she had read the script ahead of time. She hadn't. At this point, she still doesn't know what's going to happen. But at the instruction of Elisha, she takes that pot of oil and her son brings her the first vessel And she tips it over and begins to pour. Now, logically, she's thinking to herself, if there's a quart of oil in the pitcher, I'll pour out a quart. And even that seems a little bit silly if the vessel that was being held holds six or eight quarts. But can I remind you of a great thought right here? Human Extremity means divine opportunity. This lady was right at the point where she was going to see God do something that only God can do. I love the thought, when you come to the place where God is all you have, you find that God is all you need. But then I did learn another little thought that says God never will be all you need until He is all you have. Isn't it amazing that sometimes God lets us come to the point of nothingness and we say, oh, this is terrible, this is awful. I didn't want life to end up this way. No, folks, sometimes that's a blessing because when you come to the point of being nothing, then God can become everything. She begins to pour. And you see the look on her face and the look in the eyes of those boys as that first vessel begins to fill till it's almost full and just ready to overflow. And she looks at the second boy and says, grab another vessel. And he quickly moves in under the pouring oil. And it continues to fill. And another, and another, and another. How long did it take? I have no idea. But I do know, according to the Word of God, and specifically in verse 6, that she poured until all the vessels were full. And then she said, Bring me yet a vessel. Verse 6, And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. Can you imagine? Gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of oil have poured from that little pot that she started with. Little had become much because God was in it. Every vessel full. Do you know what I find very interesting? It's those words at the end of verse 6. And the oil stayed. Let me ask you a question. Why did the oil stop flowing? Was it because God ran out of oil? No. It was because she 
ran out of vessels to put it in. Isn't that amazing? So we come to verse number 7. Then she came and told the man of God. She informs him of the miracle that has taken place. And he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt. Now, in and of itself, that would have been a miraculous thing. Very likely, we're talking about maybe olive oil used for cooking, used for heating, used for lighting, used even for medicinal purposes. Olive oil was incredibly valuable. And so with this surplus of oil, she is able to go and sell it and accumulate a significant amount of money. She goes to the creditors. She pays off every debt she owed. She's free and clear. But folks, that's not where the story ends. God met every need in the past. But go back to verse 7. What did Elisha say? And live thou and thy children on the rest. God not only gave her enough oil to make enough money to pay her debt from the past, he gave her enough money to provide for her needs for the future. Can I just say to you, that's God at his best. That's God doing exactly what we saw in Psalm chapter 72. Psalm chapter 2 talks about the majesty and the royalty and the exaltation of God as the king. But even that great God does what? Here's the cry of one who is poor, the cry of one who is needy, the one who has no helper. And in this story, we see God doing just that, meeting needs for someone who was honest and humble and said, I have a need. Now, let's step away from the story for a moment and go back to our outline. We saw first a human predicament, but I want you to turn that card over and I want you to write on the top these two words, divine provision. Divine provision. And there are four, or I'm sorry, there are five key words that you must understand are a part of experiencing God's provision for your need. Here we go. Word number one, admit. Admit. And in parentheses next to it, maybe you want to write these words, I can't. That doesn't come easy, does it? Doesn't come easy in a world that says, be all you can be. Doesn't come easy in a world that says, you can do anything you put your mind to. No. The first step to experiencing God's provision is to simply say, God, I can't. I don't have enough money to pay this bill. I don't have a cure for this condition. God, I don't have a solution for this problem. I don't have an answer for this question. I don't have peace in this turmoil. There comes a point where we admit, I can't. Word number two, acknowledge. Acknowledge. In parentheses, maybe you want to write these words. God can. God can. What does Hebrews 11 tell us? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. When I come to God in my need, I'm doing so 
recognizing I can't and God can. Meaning that my God is able. Isn't it amazing how much of our lives we live in the realm of the possible, the probable, and the predictable? Why? Because that which is possible, probable, and predictable depends upon what I can do. But when you step into the realm of divine provision, you're focusing now on what God can do. And when you take this second step, you're no longer telling your God you have a big problem. You're telling your problem you have a big God. And isn't it amazing how that quickly just the perspective changes of the situation. Number three, third key word, ask. Ask. In parentheses, write these words, help me. Help me. It's an opportunity for you or for me to verbally express that which we need from God. Why would Jesus ask a blind man or a crippled man, what do you need when he already knew? Because the blessing came when that man expressed his need. I made a comment the other day, teaching on prayer, that I've always been perplexed by the concept of a word of prayer. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me a little later in the day and I had to go back to the next service and correct myself. Do you know what the most appropriate word of prayer is? Help! Sure. That one word alone says, I can't, but you can. I prepared a, a message in print on the gospel. In fact, it turned into a eight and a half by 11, 12 pages gospel tract, I call it. And I kind of have had to do it because of the Amish community in which I live in, in central Pennsylvania and the, the efforts we are involved with trying to communicate a gospel to people so steeped in religious tradition and, and so on. And at the end of this entire presentation, the back page is three full-color pictures. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. These are worth 10,000. And the gospel is basically broken down in this presentation to I must turn, I must trust, I must take. The middle picture, I must trust, is an incredible picture of a woman trapped in the window of a burning building. Smoke billowing out of the window around her. A ladder and a firefighter in front and she is diving into his arms out that window. How does a person get saved? I can't. God can. I trust you to do for me what I can't do for myself. That's how we get saved. But isn't it amazing from that point on in life, I can. Help me. Asking is that incredible point in life where we express our need. But quickly, notice the fourth key word, accept. A-C-C-E-P-T, accept. And in parentheses, maybe you want to write these two words. It's okay. You know, this dear lady in this story, 
not only asked for help, but then there came a point of accepting what God said she was to do. God's method. See, there's asking, but then there's a point of surrender and submission. Can you imagine her standing there saying, Elisha, I don't have time to go collect a bunch of buckets. Why don't you just see if you could take a love offering at your next meeting to help us? Uh, Couldn't you come up with maybe a fundraiser or isn't there a benevolence fund somewhere or come on couldn't you just you got to know a rich man that could just write this thing off and but that was all her way and folks even in our need God is still more interested in his way than our way And it was necessary when the prophet said, collect the vessels, pour the oil. It was necessary for her to say, if that's how God wants it done, it's okay. That leads us to the fifth and final word, and it's just simply the word act. And in parentheses, you can write these words, I will. You see, what we've got here is a process of humbling ourselves, getting our perspective on God, acknowledging, or or I'm sorry, asking for His help, but then surrendering to His way and obeying His will. Doing what God says, which simply leads me to conclude that sometimes God makes himself more real in our lives when things are bad than when they're good. When they're hard more than when they're easy. When we're in the middle of a nightmare rather than in the middle of a dream. See, isn't it amazing how we as human beings, just get so caught up in our health and our wealth and our prosperity and our pleasure and our success and our satisfaction and we want life to be so good for us. And God says, no, I have such great desires for me to be so good for you. Sometimes it's only in our predicaments that we discover that when life is at its worst, God is at his best. Folks, it's only a two-point outline. It's only seven verses. But do you realize that what we have in front of us is an incredible illustration of this truth? He, the Lord shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. Let's bow our heads, please. Let's be quiet before the Lord this morning. Folks, a little earlier in the message, we made a list of predicaments, didn't we? Maybe as we went down through that list you found one or more of them that basically describe right where you are today in life. On the other hand, maybe there is a situation in your life that is a predicament that wasn't even on my list. Irregardless, can I ask this morning, How many of us sitting in this room this morning feel like we're in a situation in life, we've gotten into a situation in life that we're having a hard time getting out of? Our heads are bowed. How many of us would that be true? Would you lift your hand? Wow, so many. You may put them down. Folks, I've not preached this message this morning as a quick fix. I'm not here today to give you three easy steps to solve everything. 
I'm not certain that I can guarantee you that in a few minutes by 12 noon, everything will be okay. I, I can't do that. That's not up to me. But I can give you a good starting point this morning. Just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet for just a moment of invitation. An invitation to Him can quietly be played. We don't need to sing. We don't need songbooks. We're just going to be quiet. A moment ago, there were people all over this auditorium by the dozens who lifted a hand, said, I'm in a predicament. Could I invite you when I say amen to my prayer? The first note of that piano is played. For that matter, you don't have to wait till then. If you want to come now, that's fine. But at that moment, could I invite you to step out of your place this morning and maybe bring that little card with you and you can kneel or sit here at the front or even just stand. But would you bow before God and say, God, today I'm here to tell you I can't, but you can. Help me. Whatever you want, it's okay. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Would you do that this morning in prayer? We've learned it and we've seen it. God responds to that kind of a cry. Let's stand, please. Father, have your way in this closing moment, I pray. Do and accomplish your will in the hearts of lives. God, will you minister to the needs of men and women here today in Jesus' name. Amen. No one's looking, please, as the invitation.